I've read through your book. And most importantly, I watched your I Am Second interview in that white chair. I've been a fan of that forever. And so when I saw that you had done one, I was like, oh my goodness. So for all (laughs) of my community who may not know anything about I Am Second or the white chair film series, number one, check it out. It'll be in the show notes. But how were you led to that? And just tell us about your experience and what that meant to you and where were you in your healing process? Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. We are ending this season nine, Moms and Mental Health, with a jewel, a radiant jewel, I might add. We have with us today Julie Thomas. And Julie is the author of Hope Inside Out. What a great name, Julie, for that book title, Hope Inside Out. Because, I mean, what better way to say it? Hope is so elusive. Okay, so we'll get back to that. But welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Hope Inside Out, where did that title, I'm such a, um, I like to understand where you were and if you were driving down the road or if it was something with the editors or. Hope Inside Out. So when I was looking for the title of the book, you know, you write down so many titles and you wonder how it will come together with the book. And there is a song uh, by Hillsong and it's called Inside Out. It's it's an old song. I'm going to say it's about about 10 years at least. And uh, it talks about how you failed a thousand times and then how God arrives at hope from the inside out. And that song was an inspiration to me through my journey. And so I felt like linking the two together. And so, and that's how God worked, at least in my life. I didn't have my miracles, so it didn't come from the outside in for me. Uh, Mm -mm. So it, it was truly inside out for me, uh, my healing and everything that my journey entails. Yeah. So your journey, what a journey. I've read through your book. And most importantly, I watched your I Am Second interview yeah. in that white chair. I've been a fan of that forever. And so when I saw that you had done one, I was like, oh my goodness. Yes. So for <laughs> all of my community who may not know anything about I Am Second or the white chair film series, Number one, check it out. It'll be in the show notes. But how were you led to that? And just tell us about your experience and what that meant to you and where were you in your healing process? That was definitely a God connection. Um, No friends, no contacts, anything. Just a friend happened to uh, come across our lives, like from my husband's college, like 20 years after. And they were catching up on a New Year's Eve and, you know, they just shared stories and our life story happened to come up and that person happened to share it with uh, someone he knew. And it just went from there. Um, wow. It, yeah. It was not pre-planned, nothing. It just happened. And I believe mm-hmm. 
that it couldn't have happened without God um, and connections that God brings into your life. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm always, I was actually just speaking with someone this morning and there are just those times when connections happen, this person, that person, this, 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 that, and the other. And I'm like, how can you not believe in a superintendent, someone in the heavens who is orchestrating life? And so he did that for you. What is I am second? Just inform us a little bit about what that movement is. Um, They are a ministry that focuses on real life stories as raw as can be. Uh, The experience in the chair is also as raw as can be. There's no direction. Like, you know, there's Uh a team but they let you just share your story and let God do his thing. And uh, Jesus takes all glory, all honor. Like the chair itself is I am second. It's he's first. Uh, And I love that they abide by that. They truly abide by that. And it was a privilege and honor, just humbling for me Mm -hmm. uh, to be um, under them. And in that chair, it was truly humbling. I am no, have no doubt. And I know you, your story had to help just thousands, if not millions, but what is your story, Julie? What is your story? What you've referred to it a couple of times. I have, I just want you to speak to our heart lifters and, and tell us your story. Well, um, it started, I have two boys. Uh, they're much older now. One's a freshman and one's in seventh grade. And it started with the birth of the youngest. Uh, the oldest was two and a half and the youngest was born. And I came home from the hospital like every other mom would. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't come home like every other mom would. So ah. there's two ways to say it. I didn't come home with a normal uh, story or a normal experience. I came home and there was this weird real playing in my head. It is so hard to explain to somebody, Mm -hmm. but it was this real that was not in my, in my face, but it's in my head. And I would be pacing up and down the hospital hallway, just searching, searching for something and not knowing what I'm searching for. Mm -hmm. I come across a empty baby cart and I would weep. And Mm -hmm. that weeping would transition from my head into reality. And I would start weeping over the baby that was in my arms healthy baby, no Mm -hmm. issues. He's still with me. I would weep like I lost him. And so it was just this, I feel like I was carrying the burden of a mom who went through uh, uh, losing a baby. I didn't lose a baby. I had him with me, but that was the pain in my chest. That was your reality. Explain it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's like two realities playing at the same time. Right. My That's a very good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there was no connect between the two absolute disconnect. I can't stop this from playing in my head. I can't explain it to my spouse. It was just a really hard place to be. And uh, of course, that started to interfere with us and our communications because I'm not sure what's going on and neither was he. Yes. Because this didn't happen with your first baby. It didn't happen. No, it did not. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was healthy too. And everything was just normal with him. Hmm. Uh, And uh, from that point, it just started to manifest in my life and like it started to manifest in in ways of fear rage in ways of I couldn't be in public I couldn't make eye contact I couldn't sleep at night um Mm. I was afraid of the light like no daytime light was welcome 
everything right. was. I preferred darkness because I could hide. Um, and I, one of the chapters in my book is called Hiding Place. And that was my hiding place, that darkness, that isolation, mm. just uh, nobody had to isolate me. I did it myself. Right. Um, so I, I kept doing that. And like I said, it started to manifest in physical ways in my life. And I would cry. I would have anger. I would have rage. And then nighttime was really hard because when everything is slowed down, your oh. children asleep. Yeah. Everything is slow. And everything's so much different in the night season. Yes. And the anxiety would, yeah. I think, amplify the images in my head and it would mm. speed up. And I always tell people it was on fast forward and I had no uh, control of it. Right. And so that would cause a lot of middle of the night sprints out the door. No control, oh. trying to get away from my head, trying to get away from me. Mm -hmm. And I would run like, I'm not a runner, but I would run so fast. I had this strength to run from just all the rage. Adrenaline and right. And I would run so hard till my legs caved. And when they caved, I would drop somewhere and not know where I was. Mm -hmm. uh, I would always go park myself near a source of light. And my husband would, you know, there's a baby and the two babies in the house. One was two and a half when the other one was born. So he would put them both in the car. Oh boy. And come looking for, uh, for his wife. And we couldn't tell anyone. We were so ashamed of what was happening. Mm -hmm. We were not certain of what was happening. Right. We didn't tell anyone to help us. And he could have used that help at that mm -hmm. point, but that shame and the community that will come from, I I'm pretty sure it's the same everywhere, but I think it's a little more amplified where, uh, we come from, and it's just so honor shame driven that uh, you know we can't express our pains as freely. And mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's the same everywhere. But can you share that community? You do not have to do anything. Like, what are is this a church community? Is this an no, ethnicity? no, just our where we ethnicity, the South okay. Asian community that we come gotcha. from, mm -hmm. and we just you know we uh, don't openly share these topics. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, I'm starting to see a lot of changes and I'm so grateful to God mm -hmm. for people that are stepping up nowadays and doing uh, leadership yeah. that's stepping up. And yeah, so uh, we're seeing changes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was hard. It was hard for us to share. We didn't share with anyone, no friends, no family. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so we kept hiding this under the rug or behind On the closed earth. door. How do you hide that? How yep. did you hide that? I mean, were you able to um, still function as a mother? You mentioned uh, in your book how you had a, di a more difficult time attaching or bonding to this baby. Yeah. Um, early on before you started, I, I had this question. I should have written it down. But was it like a light switch that went off in your brain? Or was it a gradual, like, one day you're fine, the next day it started? It was, uh, I came home to that. So it was weird, you know, yeah. but when you're in the hospital, you kind of are occupied with right. all the little details that they're taking care of for you, the baby. Mm -hmm. And then I come home and baby's there, the, the older one's there. And he was an easy one. He had no trouble adjusting. So we didn't deal with any challenges in that. Wow. Then this reel is playing in my head and it's mm -hmm. more noticeable. Nighttime comes along. It's a little more obvious and I'm going, what is this? Sure. What is this? And then without even my realization, it becomes a part of me and my reality to the point where like if I'm folding laundry 
and this is in my head and I would snap back to reality because one of the kids, you know, dropped something or Mm -hmm. let out a cry. And then I'm like, oh, I'm here. But this is so real in my head that it was out of my control. Right. Um, Yeah. So it was like, like I mentioned earlier, two different realities. Two very different realities. Yes. Very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At the same time. Which I know those who suffer with postpartum um, feel that way. Also, those who suffer with bipolar feel that way or borderline. You know, it, it is really as if there are two realities. Um, we are talking about postpartum depression here. I don't even think I mentioned that. We just dry, dove right into the story. But when and how did that shift then? Like, we're, we're going to come back to some things. But as you're going through this journey, when perhaps did your husband say, okay, we've got to change. We got to get help. Or did you say uh, that? No, I wasn't aware of what was going on. Mm. Neither was he. And we're dealing with the reality of two babies. Mm -hmm. And I was wrapping up grad school and it was just a lot going on. Right. That was one of the, yep. Yeah. It was a friend that noticed that something was off with me and his wife had been through it. And he told my husband, you know, I think she's a little different from what we knew her to be before she had the baby. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he encouraged my husband to, you know, go take me to a doctor and, you know, figure out. And yeah, definitely. As soon as they saw me, they knew it was postpartum wow. and it was just us not knowing what was happening. If we sure. had known we would have, you know, it didn't occur to us to go get medical help. It didn't. We just thought right. this would go away. Right. And, right. um, it didn't. Um, so mm-hmm. we ended up seeking medical help, uh, got on medication, did everything that we could to, uh, you know, fight this as much as we could from our end. Right. Um, any depression in your past? Like, did you have episodic or melancholy or any uh, feeling like that? Okay. And so during this time no. as well, because I know my community is going, Janelle, ask this question. Were you super high functioning beforehand? Like, are you a high functioning human being? And so during this time, you you have two babies under two and a half and you are in grad school for your doctorate, I believe, right? Yes. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you're high functioning because I think you are. <laughs> my oh goodness. my God, knows how I did that. I was like, I oh my know. God, what were you oh, thinking? Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I know oh so well. Yes. So because you're that high functioning, you're able to do that. Were you able to go to do school during this? It was the final, it was my final wrap up. So it was my dissertation phase, defense phase. So yes, the pressure was on. It was intense. I really don't know. I I feel (laughs) like how did everything happen? I did graduate. Uh, I, uh, ended up getting my diagnosis on my graduation pretty much the same time, you know? And so, uh, it's a miracle that I graduated. It's a miracle that my children were peaceful and I Mm. believe the scripture that says your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. That was truly the protection over their lives because Mm -hmm. mom loves them and loved them as much as she could, but you know, Mm -hmm. um, I just felt like I wasn't that mom that I wanted to be. I felt lacking and I would try harder and harder and that make it harder on myself. That That's what uh, I was kind of getting at. You know, it's, it's that I'll try, I'll try harder and I'll try this because I can do this. I know who I'm, you know, that's that yeah. high functioning 
personality mm-hmm. that just keeps pushing and pushing yeah. until you can't push anymore. I just wonder if that, it, as you can look back in hindsight, which we know and love to be 2020, is that something that you feel like was an underpinning of this tremendous dark valley, the shadow of death for you? Because it was the shadow of death. So um, I grew up in the church. So you did. Okay. I didn't know anything besides the Lord. And so our first instinct was to, besides medical help, seek prayer. We we sought prayer. We sought uh, friends and our church and our pastor and everybody to pray over us, which they so graciously uh-huh. walked that journey with us uh, mm-hmm. the entire time frame. And our pastor recommended counseling. I got into that and found a godly counselor. Uh, I was blessed in all those areas. but. You know, as much as anybody else can pray for you, as much as someone else's faith can carry you only so far, it always comes down to you and God. It does. And it it came down to that for me. It came down to just being a nominal Christian where, you know, you read your Bible and you're listening to your praise and worship in the car and you're doing all the right things, sending your kids to Sunday school. You're doing everything right. But that connection between your Savior Mm -hmm. and you, for me, was lacking. When this came along, um, I would get so mad at him Mm. that I would shake my fist at heaven. And I even swore a couple of times that I would never raise my voice to know him. And that's how mad I was. And then I would feel afraid and guilty because I did that. Exactly. Yes. yes. And so it came down to me opening up the word of God and looking for me. I grew up in Sunday school. I knew everything. I did good. Had it all here. Everything was there. All All that head knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I looked for what is, is, is there a person like me in the scriptures? Is there someone that's. Oh, what a great question. Yes. Is there someone that's despairing? Is there someone that's in distress? Is there someone that's feeling anguish in their chest every day? Is there someone that's feeling so heavy that she can't get off of bed because you feel like there's a bunch of bricks on your chest? All these feelings I started to frantically search for. Thank God for modern day Bible apps, because all these words I would put in and here pops up all these scriptures Hmm. that in a weird way through my sorrow brought me joy because I felt like I wasn't alone. I saw the people in the scriptures, David, who was known for his overturning of Goliath and his yeah. defeat of Goliath, but oh my goodness, his backstories, his, his back times story. in the cave, his times in the cave, his times in the wilderness, his times running, his times complaining to God. Yeah. Everything was there as raw as can be down to Jesus mm. in Gethsemane, expressing his emotions, asking God to spare him if, yeah. if could be and wanting out and yeah. All these brought me hope, even in that time of when the sadness was still indwelling. And yes. that's where my God connection, I believe, truly began as an individual, as a grown adult. I think it began at that point of pain, searching for him mm-hmm. and finding him face to face, like a mirror in, in, the, in the word of God. Yeah, I I think uh, imagery is so critical uh, in when we're talking about these deep, dark valleys through the shadow of death. 
and questions are so important because, I mean, we can't get off the bed. At least I couldn't in my dark valleys of the shadow of death or off the floor or, you know, just crawling. So I always want to present these stories with, this wasn't something that you just, it was easy. I'm going to look up a scripture and I'm going to memorize it and I will be better. It's when you have this looming and postpartum is a mental disease, you know, it's, it's, it's real, but it's not, it's not that prayer doesn't handle it. It's not that, you know, uh, reading scripture, no, but it's just, sometimes there's a time in our life where you just keep groveling. Is that, is that what you're trying to say here? Yeah, definitely. There was a lot of groveling. There was times where I was on the floor and I didn't want my kids to hear it. So I would just scream into the carpet and, uh, hold a pillow up to my face and scream into a pillow. Yeah. and just help me, God, every yeah, day. Yeah, that's it. Every day, every breath that I could think of, I would be, help me, help me. And then I would have my fits of rage. And then I would go back to help me, you know, um, because yeah. he was all I knew. That's it. So that gives us, that to me is the most powerful definition of hope inside out. Because it is, you're literally being turned inside out. Yeah. Guts, everything. Yeah. Like wringing a, you know, a dish towel. It's just so, just take a breath, you know? (laughs) And so sometimes there are these times and yes, there are people that have gone before us in the Bible who have been turned inside out and all around and all of that. And I love that question. So if anyone, heart lifters, anyone today, you're going, yes, I get this. I get it. Thank you, Julie, for putting words to my, (laughs) my dark pain, you know, ask, I think that is such a great question. Was there someone that went through this? Show me this person, God in the Bible. Wow. Did he show you one particular? One of them was David. David, and yes. All, yeah, all of the book of Psalms, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus. Yes. Um, and the anguish Peter felt when he denied Jesus, because I threw my fits of rage at him, and Peter did at that point, too. Mm-hmm. And when when my biggest, uh, one of my anchor scriptures is when Jesus uh, tells the, the women at the, at the tomb, Go tell my disciples and Peter. I, I still want to choke up when I hear I that know. because he knew exactly what Peter felt. Mm-hmm. I, I relate so much to that man because those that yeah. fits of rage and yes, me too. And and I feel like Jesus had to call his name out so that he would know that he wasn't judged for how he expressed himself at that point of distress that he was going it was a major point of distress he was attached at the hip to jesus and then he denied him and that broke his heart sure peter's heart and he probably felt like i abandoned my savior but Mm. he didn't he didn't feel that pretty pretty sure jesus felt that abandonment or that sadness of peter disconnecting from him but he never you know let go of him and he I didn't. loved 
Mm-hmm. Fascinating and amazing and awe-inspiring. And he he didn't yes. let go of you. He hasn't no. let go of you either. Yeah. I love that you brought that out. And Peter. Yeah. Wow. See, that's why the Bible's so alive and real. Every it time is. I talk, you know, like we share about it, something else comes out. And now we'll never see that yeah. the same again. <laughs> go yeah. tell all the disciples and Peter. And Peter. Wow. Don't we want to have that and Janelle and Julie and just put your name there because that is for us. Yes. Impetuous Peter, you know, Uh, Christ loved him so much and, and accepted him, but held him accountable, which is what I love. It's a main tenet of our community here is to accept people, but also in a relationship in order to have a healthy relationship, you have to hold people accountable. Yes. In all the right ways. Mm -hmm. So your journey, you you got your medicine, you're in the care of a doctor. How was that transition? Did the first medicine just work? Are there any beautiful pieces of advice you might give to some young mom right now, or even maternal wellness, a a woman who's pregnant? Didn't feel like the medicines work. And I'm thinking the medicines probably sustained me, or I wonder if I would have felt worse. I don't know. Ah, but I didn't feel better. So I don't want to negate the use of medication because yeah. I know people, I have friends that have used it and it's been a great help for them. Okay. And for me at that point with what I was struggling with, they tried so many combinations mm-hmm. to see which one would help me best. Uh, and it was hard to find one that would make me feel better. Uh, and I, I think wow. maybe I didn't get worse because of yeah. the medications I was taking. And so uh, I'm grateful that there are options in form of treatment right. as well for anybody that's struggling. Mm-hmm. And you said therapy helped in what, in what uh, way did yes, that offer I, you? Consistently. Yes. I went consistently um, and met with my therapist and she was a godly woman. So she would pour into me mm-hmm. in, in terms of she would have me, you know, write down my favorite scriptures and then personalize it so I could read it out to myself every day. Mm-hmm. Little steps to help me encourage myself when David went through a tough yes. time. The scripture says he encouraged himself in the Lord when his family was taken away, their yeah. city was burnt down. And uh, he, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so she taught me how to do that you know, get up every day and battle for myself and battle for my family. And so it was really critical. A big part of my healing was my, my therapist. She was, she's still a big part of my life. Oh, good. Oh, I was going to ask that. Yeah. So a safe space. Very much. Just to exhale. Very much a safe space. Yes. Right. She was my safe space. She was. Perfect. Um, What a tribute to her. That's a beautiful thing to say. Yes. How did this affect you then in your mothering in the mothering process. You said they're much older now. Thankfully they're doing well. Uh, that's the beautiful love of God as well. So how, how did that affect you? And maybe you can encourage someone that way. Because I knew I was handicapped as a mother because of the postpartum, Mm -hmm. I tried very hard. So I would prepare ahead of time to make sure. So I had physical conditions that started to manifest like fibromyalgia, neuropathy all at the same time. And there were days when I couldn't get up. So I would mentally, physically prepare for that. If I knew it was coming, there was an onset, I would 
have everything my kids need on my nightstand mm. ready for them. You know, the older one started to get older, like he was a toddler mm. and walking around and get hungry a lot. And so I would have little things on my nightstand that he could access. So he would be fed throughout the day and taken care of and nourished. And uh, we spent a lot of time in bed. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't want to waste my kids' time in life. So I kept piles of books next to me. And uh, we would read together. Like wow. I think a big part of my healing was also the both of them on either side of me. Yes. And we just we would read for hours, uh, just through different books. And wow. so, uh, so attachment like, happened because they were right there on each side of your hip. <laughs> yes, they were. They were, and I homeschooled them up until this year, and this is my first time. Oh, that they are both in yeah full time at school. That is a huge deal. I homeschooled for 14 years. So I remember that day when they were all back in school. I was like, I don't have no idea what to do with my life. <laughs> right here. That's what I'm going through right now. Uh, I feel like a little like, gerbil, a little hamster yes, and a little wheel. Yes. I just said it took me quite yeah. a while to adjust to that. Yes. And it'll prepare um, you at least for emptiness. That'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, dealing with that right now, that's that's what I'm going okay. through right now. Just them back okay. in school. But yeah, I felt like the handicap forced me to be prepared. And so I would push myself to prepare for whatever was coming. And mm-hmm. so that's how I dealt with that. So there are ways to work around it, work through it. And if you, it's a season that you have to go through, you mm-hmm. endure. Um, and you said shame played a big role, which I have no doubt that it did. Um, we talk a lot about shame here in this community. I've written a lot about it. We love Dr. Kurt Thompson, Brene Brown, all the, the wise, uh, Andy Kober, you know, there's so many, Andy Kober, so many people that we love uh, that talk about shame. Dr. Allison Cook's just been on. Uh, how did that play a part? If you could, once again, maybe paint that picture of how shame stuck around, you know, because mm-hmm. it's such a creepy little p- creature. <laughs> It is, and it it was big time Mm -hmm. for me. And like the both of us, my husband and I dealt with it till the point where we started to get desperate, where the running away became too much. He needed support. He needed help. So when we started to open up, we made sure it was a safe space with our counselor, our pastor, three or four friends that we we knew we could confide in. And we did that. And for me, the shame aspect was again, making eye contact. I felt ashamed. I felt like people Mm. could see into me and I felt like they would figure out that I'm being fake because I'm smiling and put on my best face and go to church on Sunday. And so there were so many times that I would run to the restroom and just sit in the restroom stall till the church emptied out. Uh, I would always sit in the last row. And there were many times when, you know, there was an, a, a call from the altar where they say, if this is tugging at your heart, come forward. And I knew that was for me. Mm. And going up there was one of the biggest challenges of my life at that point. And I would feel like the walk from the back to the front of the church, I would feel conscious of, oh, is my hair okay? Is there anything hanging up to my back? Is my, is, is there a, a, there were times when I was afraid that I would have a price tag or something hanging out of my shirt. So I'm conscious of every step up to the altar thinking people are watching me. They're not. They're dealing with their things with God. And mm-hmm. But for me, every eye was on me and that walk was utterly shameful. Mm-hmm. I felt ashamed. And then there were times when God would like tug at my heart to go forward for your healing, go forward. 
you know, and I felt like it I didn't get my miracle. I didn't go up there and get like that instant miracle, but I felt like he was training me mm. to walk in spite of that shame. Yes. And the woman in the Bible for the 12 years of the issue of blood, she walked that shame journey and she, she had to make that journey to go get to she him. Did. She groveled. Yes, <laughs> she had to. And um, yeah. so I felt like her every time I went, I was like, all oh, people are watching me. I, I'm a, uh, I'm the only one here going through this again. You're the only one. That's what you keep hearing in your head. Okay. You've not mentioned that yet, but that's very important. Yeah. You're the only one. You're the only mama that look, yeah. a, look yeah. around. Everybody's dressed well and smiling. They don't have price tags hanging off their shirt. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, we could just keep going with that. Yeah. And I yeah. tell you, I, I was... have walked in with price tags hanging off <laughs> <out> my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I have. Who knows? <laughs> or inside out. Oh my gosh. But what is wrong with that picture? I think I just want to lean in here a moment, just for a moment. We love to have lean in moment, teaching moments here, because I think if COVID, this journey through COVID has taught me anything, once again, another valley through a dark, dark valley, which is now corporate, right? Which is not just personal, global even, is... The scripture that he has continued to speak to me is what he spoke to the woman at the well when he said, there's just, there's going to come a day, you know, woman, there's going to come a day when you won't worship at that well, you won't worship at the temple, you're just going to worship in spirit and truth. And there is coming a day when I am just looking for that. Yeah. And I keep thinking, Father God, are you just continually stripping because this is a stripping. I see him stripping you, right? And and you've been so gut honest. Thank you. You know, a stripping of worrying about how our hair looks, worrying yeah. about taking that journey, that long journey down an aisle. Yeah. You know, what is wrong with that picture? Like what, what can we speak to today to perhaps, um, I just call it a stripping, right? To be stripped of these impediments. Yeah. Is it ego? Is it the way we were raised? Is it our culture? Yes, probably all of the above. Yes. Any thoughts on that? I would just love to hear your thoughts. Um, I think for me, it was, uh, I don't know if this comes along with the struggle of depression in general, but I think everybody that struggles with depression feels ashamed. And I can highlight on that aspect of it because oh, there was an uh, and I mentioned this in the I Am Second interview, there was an event in our church and it was a large women's event. And uh, I happened to attend. I wasn't feeling well enough to attend, but I did because my friends were there. Mm -hmm. So I went and we're sitting a row full of all of us that knew each other sitting together. And it was a night of comedy. People are laughing. There were games, there were prizes. I couldn't engage. I couldn't mm -hmm. engage. I felt disconnected that whole night. I wanted to leave. And I mm -hmm. felt like you're the only one that's not laughing. You're the only one that's struggling with this illness. You're the only one that's not able to be happy like everybody else. Yeah. And so I wanted to leave and I would like, I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. And I endured the night and I come home that night and I put the kids to bed. And uh, that was a time of insomnia struggles still keeping the mm. house pretty dark and all the drapes were pinned to the wall. Like I told you, I was afraid of light. Yeah. Very and fascinating. That, that night I had a battle. It was a heaviness. I felt like I'm the only one in the entire world struggling with this. 
And I'm battling with God saying, God, I'm already struggling. What is this new? Mm. You're the only one and you should be ashamed of yourself. And this was happening repeatedly through the night. Morning comes. And as day breaks in, I get this dawning on my heart that said, everything you experienced in that room is being experienced by other women just like you Mm -hmm. that are sitting in the dark. And I need you to share your story right now. And I'm so glad. So glad. That was, Mm -hmm. I believe, a big part of my healing when God started to push up my heart to share my story even before my healing began. Okay. Not, Not even close to beginning and Mm -hmm. he pushed me gently to share my story while it was still going on because I fought him for the longest time I said what story I don't have the victory what do I tell people hey I prayed and I didn't get healed what Mm -hmm. do I tell people yes you did (laughs) and and he just encouraged me or at least when I opened my mouth everything that came up was just honest Everything that I was going through, my struggle with God, my struggle with the d- depression, my struggle with everything around me, my struggle with society, my struggle with being outside in the light. I feel like he just thumped me in the back and like, open your mouth. And I opened my mouth and just started to share these, just everything that I was going through. And people started to respond. People started to come up to me mm-hmm. and tell me, I can't believe you're going through this. I would have never imagined. I would have never was- known. Right. And so they started to say, I'm going through this. It's been so long. My kid's going through this. My family member's going through this. So many people started to respond. Yeah. And they were all ashamed to share. Of course, I know. Shame was the common factor between me and all of them that shared. And that night of going through that, whatever that I felt was a whole night of shame that I experienced. And I was like, a lot of us. Hide because we think we should be ashamed of this. Mm-hmm. We would never, we would never hide a medical condition from anyone. We wouldn't. This no, is no. a medical condition. Yes, it is. Yes. I, I don't know when that's going to lift. I really don't. One sharing because at a time, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One voice at a time. One voice at one a time. From every little corner of the world. Mm-hmm. This mom that was sitting at home had to open her mouth and I'm somebody else somewhere else is going to have to open her mouth. You mm-hmm. are vocalizing a lot of people's pain and shame. I think it's going to take a collective response. To this. I agree. Yes. I think collective is, is definitely, I see a, an army of women arm in arm, hand in hand, heart to heart, you know, in a spiritual unity yeah. uh, because we should not have to be running into the bathroom and staying in the bathroom or sitting in the back row or hiding. It's just the whole, it's the whole warfare of hiding. Right. And, and of course, you know, you've said it several times now, I didn't want to be in the light, you know, well, that's just warfare. And I I think of all the times in my life where I have heard the, I like to call it the, the stranger's voice, John 10, you know, get to know your father's voice. So you can identify the stranger's voice because for decades, the stranger's voice was the loudest voice inside of my head, you know, because we really didn't talk about mental illness, you know, three decades ago, four decades ago. It's enough to make you want to take your life, want to be, you know, just be crazy. And I've been there and I, I, that's why I resonated with your story. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so happy that you wrestled that night, that you wrestled, that you, you got in the game. You know, it's one thing I love about Dr. Brene Brown, get in the arena, you know, get in it and wrestle with it. 
until you may end up with a limp like Jacob. Did you begin? I'm not going to let you go, God. No, I'm not. I'm not going to let go of God until I see that army of women. But did you just begin sharing your story one, one one-on-one around the table or? Um, I, I just started a group in my house. Beautiful. Just started a group and just told friends and we ended up meeting on my, a lot of the times we'd all just be on the carpet, just weeping and sharing. And, uh, it was a safe space for me where I had friends that would just come in and I could open up and tell them every little detail of what I struggle with. And they would open up and a lot of our stories were common connecting. I I did also do a one-on-one where I went to coffee shops and met with friends Mm -hmm. individually that would, you know, say, Hey, can I meet you separately? Because they didn't want to be in the the collective space. And I told them, they got to ease their way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And one of them, I I shared this several times, but she sat across from me and said, you know, I am so glad you shared your story with because if you had done this after you were all good, I would have never communicated with you. And (sighs) that was confirmation for me that I was not a crazy woman for sharing my story. No, because I didn't have my healing. I didn't have my testimony of victory. And I was uh, still a little bit ashamed of that. And so her Mm -hmm. telling me that was a big, big confirmation where I didn't hear wrong that this was the Lord and that he is working in individual hearts of every person that he loves so much. He is. Do you feel like, I wasn't going to go here, but I, I think it'd be a great conversation piece. Like, do you feel like you have to have all the answers or, I mean, obviously you did feel that way, but in that journey, in this journey, where are you with that now? Like I know at 62 years old, I rarely have answers anymore. <laughs> you know, It's like the the more I live and move and have my being in Christ, the more questions I have. I find more mystery. And I think it's embracing the mystery and embracing it with patience. But I love that you brought people into your home and just said, hey, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I just want you to come in and we're just, we're just going to talk. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what we did. We just. That's church. That's life. That's it. That's everything to me. I love it. Is that still going today? Where are you today? Beautiful Miss Julie. Where are you today Uh, in your journey? um, Today, uh, I would say I'm a whole lot better. And I almost, I wouldn't say that I, I don't experience it once in a while. Once in a while, when life happens, you know, you feel that. Oh, that weighing down. And I have that concern. Am I going back into the depression sure. that, you know, so I, I call it in my book, I call it a sting. I do yep. feel that sting. sting. I think mm-hmm. everybody in life does. And particularly um, now, I mean, you, you wrote this book, your journey, you wrote the book in 20 or it came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay. But now we've experienced this collective trauma, yes. this global trauma. And I think anxiety is in the air. It's in the mm-hmm. ox. It's it's in what we breathe. There's so much anxiety yeah. in the air that we breathe that even the soundest of us all are still going to wake up with a sting. Yeah, that's my humble and opinion. So, yes, and with a so state of overwhelm, I think is what more yeah. than anything. Yes, and it is. I think the journey that I went through, and each individual step of 
how God led me through it. And I always tell people I had a pie chart of healing. I didn't have my instant miracle of healing. A pie chart style for me. Yes. uh, I have to pull off of sections of that pie chart today if I feel anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm glad I know how to go to or where to go to. It's the word of God. It won't be the exact same way he healed me when I was going through the postpartum. This is a different season in life. Mm -hmm. And so it's pressing into his presence because that will bring out what I need for that moment and what I need for today, for this thing of today, for this thing of postpartum. He had a pie chart for me and I'm sure he has a new pie chart now set out for me Mm -hmm. where, okay, this journey now, this let's heal this way. And I I feel like God customizes our healing. And I love that. Uh, Even if you are ill in a, in a, in the medical sense, you go to the doctor, the doctor has to customize to each patient's body yes, needs. Hopefully. And I think mm-hmm. it's the same way, same way mm-hmm. with our healing uh, of the mind. And I feel like, and the heart that God mm-hmm. deals with each and every one of us, because he knows what we need when and where, and he knows where to put the finger on at each point of our lives. And I love the way he does his business. It's just amazing. Oh, I love that. I love the way he does his business. <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautiful. What a beautiful way to wake up. Oh, I just love the way you do your business. So let's do business today. I wish I woke up that way every day. I know. I think I might. I might start doing it. I might start going, okay, so I like your business. I do. This is a good business. So Julie, then as we're closing, is there one or two, or perhaps just a grand thought after this long journey that you have been on that you could leave with us that might encourage and empower our hearts to keep going, to keep enduring, as you so brilliantly said. Doing something that is hard for you at that moment, but doing it anyway, but I would call it a good pain. I don't feel like walking today. But let me go through this pain and walk today. It's a good pain. So when an athlete is training, they have to learn how to endure. They have to learn how to go through all the soreness and the aches so they can finish that race. And so I believe it's enduring good pain in different ways. For me, Mm -hmm. it was starting to share my story a little bit, starting to open up, starting to like you said, exercise. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't want to exercise. It was painful, yeah. not just physically, but my heart was not in it. It was just tugging me down. Yeah. But I had to push past that pain. Mm. And that good pain brings me to a better place. And, That's brilliant. Um, I was not expecting so, you to say that. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's different for everybody. No, but I like journaling. that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That is so good to push through the good pain push through it. I just had a total hip replacement. I'm on day 15. So I, I am pushing through with a cane, not with a walker, you know, the pain. And I asked the PT yesterday, I tried to go without my cane and, and she said, well, does it hurt? I'm like, yeah, it does hurt. She goes, okay, well, that's not good pain yet. So it's still, you know, you're not ready. So get the cane back. You know, it's like having that guide someone to just help you to differentiate also between good pain and bad pain. That's a, that's a beautiful thing to offer to know that, okay, this is good pain. So I need to get up and I need to at least do five minutes of something 
Yes. I need to get the dishes done. I need to, what's that thing? Yes. It was just, you have to be intentional with what will work for you that day. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things my, my therapist was helping me with to little things. If you are able Mm -hmm. to fold laundry today, great. That's amazing. Push through and do it. If you can't, don't, don't be down on yourself. And so when she helped me make that little proclamation, she even laminated it for me. She was so sweet. She said, just pick out the scriptures you love. And she personalized it for me. Like I'm reading it to myself and doing that. And there were days that I didn't want to read it. Mm -mm. I did. It meant nothing to me some days, but I did it. I did it even through just that pain in the chest, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, one little task, if you can achieve that day, set a small goal because there were days when I could do nothing. Mm-hmm. nothing at I all. I and I, I tend to the babies because I had to tend to the babies, but everything thank else in the house. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm so grateful. I always say, Lord, mm-hmm. thank you that I had the presence of mind with mm-hmm. the postpartum. I think they were my entire focus. So right. uh, everything mm. else just. They may have served as an anchor in an odd sort of way. It's a very it fascinating is. part of your story. It keeps they, going every mm-hmm. day. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah. I want to see them tomorrow. I want to speak yeah. to them tomorrow. I want to share stories with them tomorrow, read to them tomorrow. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, yeah. One they, step they were two time. little packages of hope in your face all yes, the time. They were. Yeah. That's they very were. beautiful for sure. Thank Definitely you so much. The Lord on that. Thank you yes. for having me. Oh no, Thank it was, a, it was a blessing and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Janelle. God bless your ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.